Welcome to A Shower of Roses. I'm Jenna, your host. On this podcast, we read together the readings for the upcoming Sunday Mass in the Roman Catholic Church, so that when you walk into Mass on Sunday, you feel enlightened and empowered with the knowledge of the Gospel that you need to have a meaningful and personal experience with Christ every week. I'm Catholic, but you certainly don't have to be to listen to this podcast. The Gospel is for anyone, anywhere, at any state of life. We're so glad you're here. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're going to be reading the readings for February 16th, 2020, which is the sixth Sunday in Ordinary Time. The first reading this week is from the book of Sirach, or Ben Sirach, chapter 15, verses 15 to 20. If you choose, you can keep the commandments. They will save you. If you trust in God, you too shall live. He has set before you fire and water. To whichever you choose, stretch forth your hand. Before man are life and death, good and evil. Whichever he chooses shall be given him. Immense is the wisdom of the Lord. He is mighty in power and all-seeing. The eyes of God are on those who fear him. He understands man's every deed. No one does he command to act unjustly. To none does he give license to sin. Okay, so we're going to see that this week's readings are all about keeping the command of God and the commandments and, and following laws. Um, and this is from the book of Sirach, or as one of my students called it this week, the book of Sriracha. She was being serious. God bless her heart. She didn't know, but I was dying laughing. It was so funny. So from the book of Sriracha. Um, okay, so the, just the first verse, if you choose, you can keep the commandments. That's really important because the author's emphasizing that in all of our decisions, we have free will and we have choice, and that's a gift from God. So when we sin, that's a choice. When we choose good, that's a choice. So the commandments that God gives us, you know, we know the Ten Commandments, that's our choice as to whether or not we're going to, um, we're going to live them out in our lives. And the author says they have the power to save us. And I think that makes sense because most of the commandments, you know, the Ten Commandments, these are all pretty common sense and are really protection. You know, I just see them as so basic and God's saying, okay, if you don't want to like die or have a miserable life, just do these things. And, you know, it's going to spare us both a lot of grief in the long run um, because they, you know, the Ten Commandments don't kill, don't commit adultery. These are all very common sense things. Um, and so the author's really emphasizing choice here, right? To whichever you choose, stretch forth your hand. Um, and he says, you know, the, the option is there. Before man are life and death, good and evil. Whichever he chooses shall be given him. So this is really important. A lot of times people ask the question, you know, why does God let bad things happen? And sometimes there is no reason for it. You know, think about um, natural disasters that have no human cause. Although a lot of natural disasters are not really natural, you know, think about, um, you know, global warming, that's a man-made crisis, or, um, you know, sometimes, like, wildfires um, end up being set by human beings, but, you know, even take something, okay, something that's not at all caused by humans. 
and that's something totally different. But when a lot of a lot of the bad things that are happening in our world, you know, if you go back to the root and to the core, it starts with a with a poor choice. It starts with a sin that one person made. And so, you know, God when he gives us this gift of free will, he he's saying, "Okay, this is your gift and I'm not going to interfere with it for better or for worse in order for it to be true freedom." God cannot, you know, come down and and intervene every time we're about to make a bad decision because that would not be real freedom that he's giving us. So when God chooses to design us with free will, he's, you know, in a reality, he's kind of, you know, resigning himself to know that he cannot just intervene every single time we almost make a bad decision. There's a really good Father Mike video that I'll link to in the show, um, you know, the description of the show that talks more about freedom. But, you know, that's the author saying we have a choice, you know, the choice between good and evil. And God is not going to stop us from making bad choices because he's given us the gift of freedom. Um, and so again, that last verse, no one does he command to act unjustly. To none does he give license to sin. So he's not, um, he would never tell anyone to do anything that is bad nor would he ever give the okay for someone to sin. Um, I was talking to my students last week about, you know, relativism and how there's a lot of people in our world today that say, you know, well, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. And like, sometimes that is true um, if it's a matter of opinion, but when it comes to things like morality, ethics, and God's law, that's true for everyone. God would never say, to anyone, you know, it's okay for you to kill. Um, you know, you get a special dispensation from my law. Like, no, that's not how it works. God gives his law and that's for everyone. And we know that there's, there is such a thing as objective truth, you know, objective morality. And so I think some of us really tend to justify our sin and say, you know, well, God, you know, God wouldn't, God's not going to hold this against me. He doesn't really care. It's, he's, you know, it's fine. It's fine for me to be doing this. And it's like, no, not to none does he give license to sin. Um, none of us are uh, exempt from, from his commands and from his law. The second reading this week is from the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, verses 6 to 10. Brothers and sisters, we speak a wisdom to those who are mature, not a wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Rather, we speak God's wisdom, mysterious, hidden, which God predetermined before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and what has not entered the human heart, what God has prepared for those who love him, this God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit scrutinizes everything, even the depths of God. Oh my gosh, St. Paul is dropping some, some, some very deep... Uh, very, very deep wisdom uh, in this reading, and I love it. 
What's so, the last, the, what really stuck out to me is this last verse. And I don't know if I can really wrap my head around it. It says that, um, oh, hold on, let me find it. Oh, the spirit scrutinizes everything, even the depths of God. This is so crazy um, because the spirit is God, right? This God has revealed everything to us through the spirit. The spirit scrutinizes everything, even the depths of God. Um, I think it's more helpful if I read the next verse, even though it's part, not part of the reading for this week. So verse 11 says, Among human beings, who knows what pertains to a person except the spirit of the person that is within? Similarly, no one knows what pertains to God except the spirit of God. And verse 12, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the things freely given us by God. Okay, so verse 11 definitely helps. You know, it's, it's saying... No one knows what pertains to a person except that person themselves, right? No one knows the depths of your heart and the depths of your soul, even the person that knows you the best in this world. No one knows what's going on inside of you at all times except your soul, you know, your spirit, yourself. And so no one knows the depths of God except the Holy Spirit because, you know, if you picture, not that this is totally like a heresy, so don't... <laughs> I'm not saying this is actually how it works, but if you picture God the Father, you know, the Holy Spirit is this is the spirit inside of him that, you know, in such a way as we all have a spirit or, you know, soul, you know, you can use those interchangeably. Again, I'm not saying that's actually how the Trinity works, okay? Don't stone me. I'm just saying that might be a good way to help you visualize that first. So, okay, that part is confusing, but now we understand it. So, um... We're talking about the wisdom in God in this passage, right? We speak wisdom to those who are mature, not a wisdom of this age. I cannot think of anything that is more relevant today than that. That um, I feel like the world is just very caught up right now in the world and not looking towards... Um, it can feel like we're very alone in the fight to look towards something other than the present moment and look towards something above, you know, something eternal, something greater. And so sometimes you just, I don't know, I feel like I just look around and I'm like, why does no one get it? Like, why does no one get that we're not living for the world? We shouldn't be living for the moment. We're living for eternity, right? We're striving for eternity. And sometimes it can feel like no one else gets that. But Paul gets it. Paul gets it. And that we are, we have to kind of judge and live with a, with a higher wisdom and, and striving for a higher, for a higher wisdom. That's a gift of God. And then it says, you know, if everyone else had this wisdom, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Like, obviously, if people had the wisdom of God, they wouldn't have crucified him himself, right? Um, and then he quotes the book of Isaiah, I has not seen nor ear heard what has not entered the human heart, what God has prepared for those who love him. Mm, that's so great. Um, you know, we have no way to glimpse or imagine um, what God has prepared for, for those that he loves. And think about, you know, I think about my own life and, and if you had told me, you know, 10, 15 years ago that, that I would be doing the things I'm doing right now and, and, you know, getting married to this like amazing person and, 
and, you know, have amazing family and, and have awesome students. Like there's so much, you know, God is so good and has blessed me so abundantly. Um, and so if you had told me like 10, 15 years ago that that was, this was going to be my life now, I, I just wouldn't have believed it. So there's no way, you know, my, I could have been prepared for what God had in, had in store for me and will have in store for me in the future. And I'm not saying it's all butterflies and rainbows constantly, but you know, with his grace and with his love, um, I've never dealt with anything in my life that I felt like I could not overcome or, or journey through because, you know, when you know the love of God and you have the spirit within you, um, he becomes your companion who, who will walk with you through, you know, those deserts and those, those trials in your life. Okay, it's a long gospel this week, friends. We are reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 37. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the smallest part of a letter will pass from the law until all things have taken place. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys and teaches these commandments will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, you shall not kill, and whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, will be answerable to the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the fiery Gehenna. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there at the altar, go first and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Settle with your opponent quickly while on the way to court. Otherwise, your opponent will hand you over to the judge, and the judge will hand you over to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Amen, I say to you, you will not be released until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right hand causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into Gehenna. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into Gehenna. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a bill of divorce. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is unlawful, causes her to commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to your ancestors, do not take a false oath, but make good to the Lord all that you vow. But I say to you, do not swear at all, not by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. 
Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more is from the evil one. Woo! Oh my gosh, I feel like we just read like a quarter of the Gospel of Matthew. There's so much here. Um, but the whole thing is about law, right? And and following God's law and what the law means. So I will try to not prolong this for too long, but there's a lot to break down in here. So the first piece, Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. There were a lot of people in Jesus's time, and we know this, people that thought he was there to rebel against Judaism or to start a new religion, which, you know, he does. Christianity is different from Judaism, but it grows out of it, right? Um, so the Pharisees were giving him a hard time because they thought he was this, you know, this rebel. And he says, no, I'm not here to abolish the law. Jesus is a practicing Jew, right? But yet to fulfill. And that's a really key point is that he's saying right there that he's the Messiah because the Messiah was there to fulfill all of these Old Testament prophecies, right? And so this is really important because for the rest of this reading, we're going to see that Jesus does not abolish any of the laws of Moses, but he fulfills, or I would say like enhances or fleshes out some of these laws. So does he negate or um, cancel out any of these laws? No, but he is going to expand. That's a good word, expand upon them. You know, in the same way the church has done this, um, we have some core church traditions with a capital T, um, you know what I mean? But but these have been um, kind of fleshed out over time. And think about, you know, the, pap the papal infallibility that the Pope um, will never speak on matters of faith um, in error. So that's another way that we kind of flesh out um, church teaching and expand it over time. It never changes, but it might come into further clarity. That's a good way to, f to think about it is that we clarify and we focus in, you know, more and more over time. Okay. So that is what the first, um, the first part means. I also love this line, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That's really important that, you know, we can commit our own sins in our lives which is something we need to deal with. But when you are leading others into sin, you know, that's a whole other set of, of issues because you have have affected, you know, the innocence um, of a child of God. You know what I mean? You've affected the the soul of, of one of God's children, and that's not okay. Um, and so that's a really good thing to examine is, you know, are there places in my life where I'm condoning sin? Or I'm allowing people to think that, you know, a certain sin is okay and I don't say anything or, um, you know, and there's a time and a place to kind of correct and, you know, and, and speak truth. Um, I don't think we're called to speak truth to, you know, random strangers or people that we don't really know well, but it's important to think about, you know, where are the areas in my life that I am leading people into sin and then to stop it because that's a sin of itself. Okay, so now Jesus is going to flesh out some of these these commandments, right? Um, one of the Ten Commandments, you cannot kill, right? It's the fifth commandment. Um, but so Jesus takes it a step further. He's going to say, I, I would even say if you are angry unjustly. And th we know there's such a thing as, you know, righteous anger, just anger. You know, when you see an injustice happening, you should be angry about it. But there's also unjust anger. So... Whoever calls his brother Raka, which is basically like calling him an idiot or a blockhead, 
um, for no good reason, right? You're just kind of shouting, um, you know, names at each other. You're answerable to the same Sanhedrin. So, so that's really important that we can't let our anger get the best of us and we can't, um, give into unjust anger. And so Jesus says, if that's you, before you come to the altar, you got to make right with each other. And I think this is where the sign of peace comes from in mass. It's that right before we do the most important part of our, of our day, of our lives, of our week, which is receiving Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity into our bodies, we make peace with each other. We say, peace be with you, peace be with you. And that's not just a time for us to be like, hey, hey, Jim, haven't seen you since last week. How are you, buddy? It's not a social hour. It's me saying, okay, I'm about to receive Jesus into my body. So I need to leave all my grievances and all my grudges, all my hardships. I got to make peace with these people so that I can free myself of any, anything bad in my body. You know, think about if you have a really serious grudge or something you've been holding on to a long time, that, that affects you physically. And, you know, are you in a good state to be receiving Jesus in the Eucharist? You know, when you have, when you're holding on to a grudge, you can't, you can't be fully open to Jesus when you hold on to things that tightly. So that's why we do the sign of peace is so that we can really make peace with each other um, before we receive Jesus. <clears throat> so that's really important. And that's why, again, the sacrament of reconciliation is really important because um, we need to make sure that we're in that state of grace um, before we're able to receive Jesus into our bodies. So then the next command that he expands upon is that you should not commit adultery. Um, and we all know what adultery is, right? Um, you know, uh, inter intercourse relations with someone that's not your wife. But Jesus says, um, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is so important that, you know, our thoughts can be sinful. And not always, you know, if a thought pops into your head randomly and you have no control over it, that's not a sin. But what do we, what do you do with that thought? You know, do you continue to fantasize about something that's, that is not of God? Do you in, indulge in a, you know, thought about harming someone? Something like that. That is when it becomes a sin. So, and we know lust, right? Lust is a sin. Lust is, um, using someone as an object, not properly loving someone. It's the vice that contradicts the virtue of, of chastity, right? Um, and so everyone that looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is so important. Um, I was talking to my students the other day about theology of the body, and I said, this is like a total Holy Spirit moment. I said, um, girls, you are made for for, um, chastity. We're all made for chastity and we all need to start practicing. You need to start practicing chastity right now. And if you do, that's the best marriage prep you could be doing, right? Because you're teaching yourself self-control in the area of your sexuality and self-control is something, you know, temperance, um, denying yourself. This is something you need in marriage, right? Spouses can attest to this, I'm sure. Um, and so, when it comes to, you know, uh, adultery, adultery is, is, is being intimate with someone that's not your spouse, right? That's the definition of adultery. We can all agree to that. So I said to my students, I said, girls, you know, any, if you are, adultery is, is, is inner being intimate with someone other than your spouse, 
you know, most people think of that as after you're married, but it's also before you're married, right? If it's someone other than your spouse, intimacy with someone before you are married is also cheating on your spouse, but, you know, pre-marriage as opposed to post, because adultery is, is sleeping with someone that is not your spouse. And so that, I don't know where that came from. That was literally the Holy Spirit that spoke that to me in that moment. But it's so true, right? That, you know, and it goes back to this reading that when we, even when we look at each other with lust, you know, we haven't committed the physical act of adultery, but we've committed it in our brains um, because that person is not your spouse. You have not made that wedding vow to that person. You don't know anything about them. You know, lust is making an object of a human person that has a body and a soul. And lust is just looking at them like a body without a soul. And that's not cool. We know that because none of us want to be treated that way. Okay. And so Jesus says, um, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Um, obviously, he's not being literal. I remember when I was little seeing a news story where a guy had literally cut off his ear or his hand because of this reading. And it's like, bro, come on. Jesus is using symbols and storytelling here, right? We cannot take this literally. But it's really important that, you know, what's really examine in your life, what's leading you into sin? Because although the thing itself might not be a sin, it's it, you just got to get rid of it. Um, and so think of someone that might be dealing with an addiction to, um, you know, pornography or something like that. Um, think of how dangerous it would be for that person to have a smartphone. You know what I mean? You've got access to, to the internet at all times and all places. Um, and it's just, I mean, you could just, there's whatever. I mean, like it's, it's all right there at your fingertips, unfortunately. And so what's better for that person to hang on to their smartphone and have it in their room and constantly have it on their person or to just downgrade to a dumb phone. It's like, what's more important here? The convenience of a smartphone or your soul? We got to ask ourselves that question. What is more important to me? These things that are leading me into sin, which are not themselves bad, but lead me into something bad or my soul? What is more important? Um, and you got to ask yourself that question. And if you say my iPhone is more important than my soul, then you've got some re-examining to do, right? And that's just an example, but that's a really good thing to examine. Okay, this is the last part, I promise. There's so much in here. Last one, whoever divorces his wife must give her a bill of divorce. And Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is unlawful, causes her to omit adultery. So we, you know, you guys probably know this, that in the Catholic Church, um, you know, you can't just get divorced. Divorce is the legal process. Um, there has to be um, an annulment for the church to say that it's not that, and this is the difference that people don't understand. Divorce says we were married and this marriage is now over. What annulment is, and that's what Jesus is referencing here. If the marriage is unlawful, annulment is this marriage was never truly valid because one of us was lying or was not being truthful when we said our wedding vows. And so that's what it means for a marriage to be, you know, unlawful in today's world is that, um, you know, when you get up there on the altar, you're vowing four things to be together forever. We say forever, faithful, fruitful, um, total forever, faithful, fruitful. The four, the four 
prongs of marriage. So total, I give myself over to you, body and soul. I'm not going to hold anything back from you. Faithful, I'm not going to cheat on you. Forever, we're going to be together until one of us dies. And fruitful, we're open to the gift of children in our marriage. If one of the people on the altar was lying when they took that vow, then that would be um, means for an annulment. Um, not saying that it's like a guarantee. It's a very long, unfortunately, like a very long and taxing and expensive process because the church does take it very seriously. Um, and, you know, they want people to really examine it and think about it before before entering into that. Um, but those would totally, all, all of those would be means for um, an annulment. You know, you hear stories. I heard a story once where... Um, a couple got married in, in a Catholic church and they took their wedding vow and both of them said they were going to be open to the gift of children in their marriage, which is one of the things that the priests ask you when you're up in the altar and you have to say, you know, we will or I do, you know, we are open to the gift of children. And then it turns out after they were married, the husband, um, the guy said, actually, I, I don't want children. I changed my mind. And so they were granted, you know, an annulment. Um, and then after the annulment, you know, again, because in the eyes of the church, that marriage never really was never valid. It was never real. After annulment, then that person is free to um, remarry if they choose. Um, they don't have to, obviously. Um, but anyway, yeah, divorce is something heavy, right? And it's something that a lot of us are affected by. And I obviously want to be sensitive to the subject because there's probably people listening to this that are divorced or have divorced parents or know someone very close to them that's divorced. I mean, it's, you know, it's one out of two marriages and in divorce um, now. It's even more in other in other places in the world. Um, and so it's something we got to be really, really thoughtful about. I don't want to go on too long on a tangent about, you know, how important um, discerning marriage is. But, but yeah, it's, 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 you're, you're pledging your whole life and that's why I'm so grateful, you know, right now I'm going through marriage preparation on my own with the Catholic Church, and I'm so grateful for the marriage prep that is offered to Catholics in the Catholic Church, because if you get married outside the Catholic Church, you don't have to do any pre-cana, you don't have to do any counseling, you know, you could go to City Hall and get a marriage license, and that's that. Um, but, yeah, I'm so thankful for marriage preparation, because, you know, the priest, you sit down with him, my priest, and... And he's going to ask you really hard questions about have you discussed, you know, finances, intimacy, children, chores, um, communication, like these things that you would probably never even think to talk about as a couple. And you have to lay it all out there and praise God for that because, you know, there are things that come up in marriage prep that's like, whoa, we're on totally different pages. And if this is like a non-negotiable for both of us, then then maybe this is not a right match. And praise God that that happens, you know, before the marriage as opposed to after the fact so that, you know, so that these people don't um, end up getting divorced um, because it's it's such a serious thing and it takes a lot of a lot of discernment and certainty when you enter into it. Not to end on that super, <laughs> on that depressing note, but, you know, it's something to think about. So my challenge for you guys this week would be um, to really examine. Examine your life. Examine your choices. Do the examine every night before bed. This is something that I've gotten in the habit of doing um, every night before bed. And, and look at the, those parts of your life that might be leading you into sin. Um, 
and again, might not be sinful in and of themselves, but are there friendships that are not leading me to God? Is my relationship, is my boyfriend not leading me closer to God? Um, is my job, is my money, is, um, I don't know, my habits, are these things leading me farther into sin? Because friends, this is all temporary. This podcast is temporary. The clothes I'm wearing, money, your car, your house, um, even your, you know, the way your relationships here on are on earth, this is all temporary. And the only thing that matters in the end is your soul because heaven is forever, right? Eternity is eternity. And so we can't live a lie and we can't live like that's not the truth because it is. We all know that. Um, and so if that is truth, then am I living for today? Am I living for the world? Am I living for pleasure? Or am I trying to live for something eternal? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. And that is what I leave you with this week, my dear listeners. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Please be sure to subscribe to the show so that you never miss an episode. And it would be awesome if you could give us a good rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Those ratings help us get this message of the gospel out to as many people as possible. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at A Shower of Roses and like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash A Shower of Roses podcast. You can also check out A Shower of Roses podcast.com for more information about the show or to send us an email or feedback. We'll see you back here next Wednesday. God bless you and have a great week.